And uh, I think, probably, I don't know if Jeremy designed this or guided it, but that song, uh, I'm going to write down those words. I bow my heart, take up my cross, and, and follow, and follow you. Okay, because that's, that's the message right there. You can all go home now. <laughs> you can, you can, and, and follow you. That's so appropriate um, for our text today. Um, we come to this. It's a wonderful, glorious text of Scripture uh, in John 12. This is the joy, honestly, of being um, exegetical, expositional preacher. I, I literally go right through the Bible, and I, I do my best not to avoid any passage. Uh, and sometimes that makes it difficult, because the passages are challenging and difficult. But then other times you get to these just beautiful texts that are just so easy um, to preach. I shouldn't say that. Nothing's easy to preach, but it, the message is just so gorgeous and self-evident, you know. Uh, it's, so it's a reward just to be able to work your way right through, verse by verse. My theory is that God wrote the Bible through men. That's not my theory, but it's well, well known in church. And therefore, every word is the word of God. And the Bible makes the point that therefore, it's inherently essential and relevant and useful and so that we come to this and appreciate that reality let me read the text then for today um, i i'm going to dip back up into just verse 19 because um, as i told you I, I think john loves irony john the author loves to point out the glorious ironies of all that's going on and we have another one uh, that the Pharisees say. Uh, so the Pharisees said to one another, you know, they're basically in panic mode. Ah! Say to another, see, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This was a hyperbole, but it's a true hyperbole because the very next thing is John says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. But that's the world, you see. That's the Gentiles. Uh, these are probably full-blood Greeks, not Jewish, probably not circumcised. Uh, but notice they're going up to the feast, to Passover, to worship. Uh, there was a classification of followers of the Hebrew faith that they called god fearers. They weren't fully transitioned into Jewish faith. As I said, one issue was circumcision. They were probably uncircumcised. But they loved God, and they wanted to be close to God. That's an important idea, right, because of the question they asked. They want to be close to God. They want to be near the temple. By the way, can they go in the temple? No. They have to stay outside court of the Gentiles. There's no access. You've got to 
fit all the categories to get in there. So it's a, a wonderful, interesting setting. There were some Greeks there. So these came to Philip. Uh, I'm doing a little running commentary as I read it today. Philip. So who was Alexander the Great's father? What was his name? Philip. Good answer. <laughs> Alexander the Great. Now, wasn't he? He was Italian, wasn't he? Uh, no, maybe he was, he was Nor Norwegian. <laughs> no, 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 no. Of course, he's uh, one of the, the most amazing uh, Greek leaders of human history. Uh, had a huge impact on, on the world for, for many years, even though in his short life he burned out. But his dad was named Philip, and they named a town Philippi after Philip. And we have a book in the Bible called Philippians, written to the people in Philippi. So there's a little background there. They, we think, we're, let's put it this way. Philip is not Greek, okay, but he has a Greek name. He's a Jewish guy with a Greek name, which says something about his family background. You know, they were probably uh, Northern Californians and open-minded. <laughs> um, and so they called their son Philip. So these came to Philip. That's not, not an accident. They're going to the guy. They think they're going to they're have access with him. You have a Greek name. Listen to us. Who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Galilee was northern Israel. And it was an open-minded sort of place. In Galilee. And asked him, and here's the beautiful words, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Sir, we, in the King James, I think it was, we would see Jesus. Uh, glorious words sitting there. Um, if some of you have heard of a church, I think, did, did you have some, a connection with the Church of the Open Door? Yes. Church of the Open Door was a, was a massive church in downtown Los Angeles, and they had some super famous pastors. Uh, one was Louis Talbot, and it was associated with the beginning of Biola, uh, the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, which was mimicked after Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And Louis Talbot was one of their pastors, and he also was a part of uh, Biola. And then another pastor you may have heard of, uh, J. Vernon McGee, was the pastor there for a very, very long time. And I think, I, were you baptized with J. Vernon McGee? So we have the real article right here, <laughs> Donald. Now, why am I bringing this all up? Well, they had a pulpit there that emblazoned on the pulpit somewhere a plaque for the preacher to see, Sir, we would see Jesus. You know? That's the way to think about our communication. You know? Are we displaying Jesus as we talk? So here we are, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now look at this little uh, protocol going on here. Uh, Philip essentially doesn't know exactly what to do with this. Philip went and told Andrew, they were close, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth, 
and dies. It remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for this bread of life, and please feed us, nourish us. All of us have come from different places and different activities in our life and different different needs and different stages, oh Father, and you, only you are adequate to uh, meet all of those needs through your glorious bread of life. So break now the bread of life to us, oh Lord, and, and teach all of us. We thank you so much. We come to you in the power of Jesus Christ alone. We thank you so much for what we've been singing about, glorious mercy and compassion, forgiveness of sins, for we are unworthy, but you are patient, slow to anger, ready to forgive, and we come confessing our need of your forgiveness. And right now, Lord, teach us and guide us. Help all of us to be able to connect to what you are saying. Through Jesus Christ, we always pray, amen. So, let's look at this. Sir, we would see... Jesus, or a subtitle would be, the Greeks are coming. <laughs> what do we do with this? It's actually a, an edgy situation for the disciples. But, you know, as we read it, we might not catch that. But it's an edgy, difficult. Why? Well, the Gentiles were outcast. They were uh, the great unwashed. They were not accepted. Jesus was here, first of all, preaching to the Jews. He was there for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, up to this point, Jesus is a rabbi. He's not accepted by the Jewish you know, hierarchy or anything, but remember last week I preached on Mary at the tomb, and remember the first word came out of her mouth, Rabboni, when he said Mary. Rabboni in, in Aramaic means teacher. And it's a, it's a category of a Jewish leader. Jesus and his, all of his disciples are Jewish. And so it's awkward. Somebody came in to the room, and we don't know what to do with him. <laughs> we don't know. First of all, you, you, you kind of make us unclean by your presence. Uh, and we're awkward around this. We don't know what to do. Even so, Philip says, oh, you know, I'm throwing in some details here that aren't here, but it's, this is what's going on. Andrew, what do we do? There's some Greeks here. Uh, they want to see Jesus. They came with a very, very humble and sincere request. If you're reading Greek, you'll see that first word there, sir, is actually the word kurios, which means Lord. It was used as a, a term of honor. Uh, they, they come 
to Philip. And Philip is honored by their presence, I suppose. And they say to him, Sir, you know, Mr. Wren, you know, uh, Lord, one who has authority and power, uh, would you help us? We want to see Jesus. They couldn't, they felt, barge in and talk to Jesus directly. They, they felt they had to come through some means to get to Jesus. And as I said, they were the outcast and put off. So that's why this little um, negotiations going on here. Peter went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. They got their courage up. And what, what answer do the Greeks get? Okay. Now, on the surface of it, at one level, their answer is not what they expected. <laughs> right? They don't even get a yes or a no. In fact, the glorious thing about a lot of the Word of God is it's divinely ambiguous because it applies to every situation. All people, all time, every ethnicity, every culture. The, the Pharisees are right. Look, the world has gone after him. Jesus is the Savior for the world. And so their, their answer that they get is not as a simple yes or no. It's actually a yes, but it sounds like a no. Because first off, it sounds like Jesus says, well, I'd like to fit you into my schedule, but quite frankly, I don't have time. Uh, you know, it sounds a little flippant, but he, he's going to the cross in a few days. He's got a huge appointment, uh, God's appointment, and he's not going to be able to do this uh, side conversation at this point with the Jews, with the Greeks. But, like I said, they receive an answer that's better, better than they expected. So what is the answer? And I just want you to... Join with me and marvel over this. As I said, it's divinely ambiguous. What I mean by that is it's gloriously rich. You know, how do you describe it? I, I suppose you're, maybe you're like me. If you read um, descriptions of you know, the taste of a candy bar, you get these people who are you know, chocolate aficionados, and they, they describe it like it's a, like, like wine, you know, too. Wine, it tastes like dirt. Oh, is that something good? I, t I taste spices and prune and <laughs> a little cinnamon, <laughs> maybe some pepper in there. And I'm thinking, I thought it was just a candy bar, you know? Well, um, it's, it's that glorious depth of meaning. And here's the reason for it, guys, really. It's, it's because it is for all of us for all time. This is not an answer just for those Greeks. It's an answer that we need to take into our own hearts and our own minds. Jesus will be seen. They said, can we see Jesus? We wish to see Jesus. And what is the first thing Jesus, look at verse 23. And Jesus answered them. This is an answer for Andrew for Philip and for the Greeks. And what is the answer? The hour has come for the Son of Man, the Son of Mankind. 
He's transcendent of all racial categories. It's, he's the Savior for all humanity, available to every culture. This is the glory and wonder of the, the person of Jesus Christ. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Isn't that amazing? What an answer. The hour has come. Now, if you're a little, little student of the Bible, that, that terminology may sound familiar. Look with me just quickly at John 2, verse 4. Turn, turn in your smartphone to uh, John 2, verse 4. Remember, this is the wedding at Cana. Very early in the ministry of Jesus, um, they ran out of wine at the wedding, and uh, Jesus was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. But she knew Jesus could change this situation. But Jesus said, and Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. He's not going to be fully revealed yet. Then look uh, with me quickly at 7.30, John 7.30. Very similar language. 7.30, it says, So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. So, in the sovereign will of God, they could not take Jesus captive until it was the perfect time when the hour was to come. Then look at 8.20. There's a little chain in, in John. 8.20 says, These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. This is a gorgeous look at this founding granite rock foundation of what we view as a crazy, haphazard universe where anything could happen at any time. And, you know, stuff just happens. Where did that come from? What's this? What's this? And uh, the one technical term for that is contingency. It, contingency is that, wow, just, I don't know what's going to happen next. Because you and I are human beings. We're finite. And we really don't know what's going to happen next, right? We don't know what the day will bring at all. But is, does someone know? Yes, God has planned it all. He's the sovereign God over all. Uh, for example, let's review what I probably, I don't think too frequently say, but the, the benediction in Romans 11. Let's have some awe and humility in the presence of God 
It says, verse 33, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Now think about that. How many human beings think that they're doing God a favor? Think that if I, let's say I was a billionaire, maybe I, maybe I was a founder of a computer company, computer company called Macrosoft or something like that. <laughs> now let's say I had billions of dollars and my name was uh, Door <laughs> or Gates or something like that. Um, and I set up a foundation and I do wonderful, wonderful good works, right? That's all really good. And, and by a human perspective, we'd say, wow, that's a good person. He's doing a lot of good works. Certainly God uh, will bless him, right? No. Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? You can't enrich God with your gifts. He doesn't need you at all. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't need me. He is fully self-sufficient. And that's this thing. My hour has come. Sovereignty. And here's the final line of that benediction. Romans 11, verse 30. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So Jesus says, I have something else to do, gentlemen. My hour has come. Look at what he says, too. For the Son of Man to be glorified. What's the path to glorification for Jesus? You know, is he going to be an instant YouTube sensation and uh, have uh, 40 billion views and sell a lot of ads on the YouTube? You know, like that. That's one path to being great in our world today, silly as it might sound. It's true. No, his path, where does it go? Through the Garden of Gethsemane, through arrest, through beating, through crucifixion. Remember last week I talked about if I was the sovereign God and had to choose an era in which to be executed, why in the world would you choose the Roman cross? You know, it's the worst way. Horrible pain. He wants to show us the, the power of his love, the gravity of our sin. And, 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 and we can look at that cross and say, oh, he paid the price for my sin. That's what I deserved. But he paid the price. And that's what he means. I'm going to be lifted up. Now, that's words that you can find later in this chapter. I'll, I'll borrow from next week's sermon. Verse 32, look at that. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, and he's literally talking about when they bring him up on that cross and drop it into the hole. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So the path to glory is suffering 
and difficulty. And, and for Jesus, uh, the ultimate horror of becoming sin, he who knew no sin was made sin because I'm a stinking mess. I'm a human being, a son of Adam. And all God's people said, Amen. So let's look at a little bit more what they get on this answer that's better than they expected to receive. The hour has come. The sovereign God is about to act. You will see Jesus. It may not be the way you expected. We wish to see Jesus. He's on the cross. Glory to God. He's on the cross. And then he's, he's got these statements. He will be glorified as he fulfills his purpose. He must die. Let's look at this next verse, verse 24. And I, I'm, I apologize for redundancy, and I redundantly apologize for my redundancy. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm going to cough too. I'll... But, but it, let's remind ourselves over and over again. John is the author of this book, John the Apostle, the one whom Jesus loved. And he's, he was very, very close to Jesus, and he wrote last, most probably, uh, it, in 85 A.D. And Jesus died, you know, around 30-something A.D. And all I'm saying is, so the, the language he chose, obviously, from a human perspective, is, is from his heart. I mean, if you're going to work this long on the, the greatest story ever told, you know, you're going to labor over everything. And, and he's the only author who says this, this phrase, truly, truly. He, he wants us to remember that Jesus said truly, truly. Good old King James, what is it? Verily, verily. Uh, I was raised on it. You know, I, I literally, while I'm studying for sermons, a King James verse will pop into my head, and I'm in English Standard. I search for it. I oh, can't find it. Oh, switch to King James. You know, da, da, da. oh, there it is. Yeah. Put it back in the ESV. I'm a big fan of ESV, but, you know, that's a glorious history. Why am I saying this? Because why does he say this? It's the ultimate in emphasis from Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus says. And, and he can't get any higher emphasis than this. Truly, truly. You know, and the, the language, you know, is, is Hebrew, transliterated into Greek, amen, amen, which is translated into English, I mean transliterated. It, the Hebrew sounds like amen. This, you know, this is absolutely trustworthy. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Warning. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So he's saying, first of all, he's going through this process, and his glorification is that his death will absolutely work. It will be effective. So effective that when he dies, he will bear much fruit. We may misunderstand it, and even his own disciples 
I, we ended up, we hardly ever do this, but we ended up watching a little bit of that, a series called AD on, on television. <laughs> uh, anybody else watch that last Sunday night? Oh, well, that's good. Hardly anybody watches TV. <laughs> and it wasn't bad. It wasn't too bad. But, but they really made the big deal of that several people were kept saying, oh, he's going to rise again. He's going to rise again, which isn't biblical at all. None of them knew. None, none of them caught this, right? Not even Mary Magdalene. Uh, she was going to wrap his body because he was dead. Um, all that to say, we may misunderstand what he's doing. We will misunderstand. Why did you do it that way, Lord? We may understand later on, but as he out, out lays, lays out his plan, it, it will be difficult at times. So when that, that grain of wheat, a little kernel of wheat, it, it has to be planted, buried in the ground. What does that sound like? Yeah, Jesus was crucified and buried. And it must give up its life. It's no longer an intact grain of wheat. No, I just want to be me. I want to enjoy my life the way I am. I don't want change. And I don't want complication. Just all about me and my experience now. It's the exact opposite of that, right? He's, he's willing to fall, fall into the earth and die. If it doesn't do that, it remains alone. One commentator I read said they found grains of wheat in the pyramids, you know, in the tombs of the pharaohs, and uh, those grains never did anybody any good. You know, if they had been taken and planted, they would have produced fruit. But it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Okay, so that's the work of Jesus. He's going to bear much fruit. But there's something more there, isn't there? There's something... Like I said, a little ambiguous, like something deeper there, because look what he says next. He's basically saying, we, we need to learn from him. This path isn't just for Jesus. This path is for us. This path is, I bow my heart, take up my cross, and follow you. Look at the final two verses for today. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. That's the word deacon there, to be a servant. You, you would almost think it would be doulos, uh, but this is the word, because a doulos is a slave. But this is a deacon, somebody who's willingly serving like a waiter at the table. If anyone serves me, and that's consistent through the few times it's here in this text, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. I'm, we're going to, hopefully, Lord willing, open that up just a little bit uh, in a couple of minutes. It's not WWJD. It's uh, where would Jesus be? And not what would Jesus do here in this text. He says, where I am, there will my servant be also. Even if that includes the cross. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So through the path of suffering, 
the Via Dolorosa, Jesus is glorified. And through our submission to God, bowing the heart, we will be honored as well. We will be glorified. So let's think about this just in, in the remaining minutes we have together. To see him, serve him. To see him, serve him. Just picking up that theme, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Well, you want to be with him? This is how. Serve him. How is this done? First of all, it, this is the, the most difficult. Um, I'm, I'm using the word ambiguous, not, not meaning like it's, it's hard to get to the meaning. I mean it's deep and, and challenging. You and I should be meditating on this a lot. The, I have you know subtitle there, Learn to Hate Your Life in This World, You Will Keep It for Eternal Life. What does this mean? Hate my life in this world. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I'm firmly convinced that God has created our lives. And he's given us the life we have. I, I, I'm blessed by the grace of God. I have a wife and children, and it, it, it's in, enjoyable. I'm not supposed to hate them, am I? Am I supposed to become a, what's the word, ascetic? Is that the right word? You know, that, that's the kind of person that decides, okay, I'm going to disconnect from all life. I'm going to go live in a brown hut and eat, uh, you know, uh, pinto beans raw or something like that. I hate life. Life is horrible. Um, no, he doesn't mean that. He does not mean that. The Bible tells us he's given us all things richly to enjoy. He's the one who created this world. And, and a Christian learns to enjoy what God has created, the way he guides us to enjoy it, and to use that as actually worship. I praise you, Lord God, for this beautiful thing. God made us as these kind of funny little creatures that we, we need to eat like, like hobbits, you know, every, like five meals a day. <laughs> Eleven Zs and uh, all those wonderful things. Uh, and, we're, you know, we're these cute little creatures. We're very dependent. We're very soft and buttery. Um, but... And, and we enjoy things like uh, foods and pleasure and uh, arts and beauty. And <laughs> I shouldn't tell this story because I haven't told it to Charlotte, but I'll go ahead and tell it. Oh, no, no, it's not, it's not that. <laughs> she said, don't tell the story. But it's a funny little story. <laughs> out of loyalty to a friend. I, we're, anyway, I had to go out and mail a letter. And I'd had a long day and worked hard. And, but it, so it's like 8.30, and I, you know, I recently acquired a motorcycle uh, for, you know, joy and danger. Um, but, and I was, I told Soren, I mean Colby on this, I was driving up our driveway, and, and it was night, and it was dark, and I, the, the sky was utterly clear. And I, like, I went, wow, look at those stars! And I veered off my own driveway and crashed in the bushes. And I, this time my my first, maybe I'm a little, you know, only uh, crash, but it was like ridiculous, you know. But <laughs> I was laughing at myself. Uh, thank the Lord, and, and you know, it's a lesson, right? Uh, watch where you're going. Oh, okay. 
I'll try that next time. I'm, I'm young. I'm only 56. How would I know that? You know? But what's my point here? God didn't make all this beauty, so we hate it. Like, oh, those stars are beautiful. I hate you, stars. There's the three stars right there. Um, no, that's not, not what it is. Well, what is it? Well, there's, there's a lot to this. Okay. Let's start at the level that actually hits most of us most of the time, and that is this. Since God created this world so amazing, so alluring, so engaging, so habit-forming, it, it can become an obstacle to obeying God. And we actually love the created thing so much, we ignore the creator. That, that's the basic rebellion of humanity. I love what you created so much, I don't have time for you. <laughs> it's like that little kid opening the Christmas present, you know? <laughs> Run off in the corner and play with it. What do you say? This is always at Christmas time for me. What do you say, Nady? Thank you. <laughs> Not a sincere thank you. Uh, but that, that's the human smallness of making idols out of the good things that God gives us. There's literally people that you know, even make their own children their idols. I'm so distracted by these great children. I'm so dedicated to them. That's all I do. I pour myself into them. I don't actually have time for God. Um, you know, whenever I finish raising my kids and giving them such a great example of my respect for God, <laughs> right? <laughs> then, then I'll get serious about my relationship with God. Then I'll start attending church, going to Bible study. Then I'll start supporting missionaries and praying and giving to the work of the Lord. Then, then I'll do that. But for now, you don't realize how expensive all these private lessons are and everything that pours into these, these idols you gave me. Um, just, you know, just explore it. Think about it. You, you actually have to have a comparative hatred whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You, you must not let this world become a god to you. And then, you know, it really easily transfers over into another area where a lot of us deal with a lot, too, is just the, the, the darkness. We had Sunday school this morning, and there's a little meditation on what is darkness. Where is darkness? And darkness can is symbolized in the Bible of moral evil. And it's so aggressive. It's, it's available and uh, tenacious, and it, it gets us. And we have to hate that. Well, yes, but it brings me pleasure. Well, you have to hate that pleasure because God told you that that's sin. It is wrong because God told you it's sin. You don't even need any more explanation than that, quite frankly. Why is it sin? Because God said so. Who's God? Oh, yeah, he's the one that of him, through him, to him are all things. Kind of a powerful guy. You probably want to be on his good side. Um, so, so this word from Jesus to learn to hate your life is to say, to keep it in perspective and to always remember that this life is so fragile. Now, let's take this in one other direction, too, because 
here I'm in America preaching and, you know, proud of my stupid Northern California. Um, let, let's transfer this to the other part of the real world. Let's go to North Korea. What does it mean to be a Christian in North Korea? You know, what, what are you risking there? Maybe it's quite literal. You have to say, if I follow Jesus, I'm actually hating my life because I could totally be thrown in the worst concentration camp of all human time. I'm, am I willing? Well, it seems kind of categorical, though. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. See, so I, I, this is, you know, I, I, I don't even feel worthy to say this, right? Because I'm living in this sort of comfortable, like, easy, lazy boy chair culture. But if I lived in, you know, what's it like to go to church in Pakistan? I, I literally have a couple of Facebook friend pastors in Lahore, Pakistan, Pakistan. And that's the place where they keep blowing up churches. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, two separate churches, you know, suicide bombers came in, and the, you know, the head usher took the guy out, and he perished with the suicide bomber. Brandon, you're our head usher, right? <laughs> you know, no, no, no kidding here, right? right? This is so serious. What's it like to go to church there? Well, it's inconvenient. It's so early. I'm not sure, I, you know, blah, 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 blah. No, you know, no, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to put him first. He says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is. That's why I do this. I hate my life. I'm going to live for him. And I'm willing to take what comes because the path to honor goes through suffering. And if that's his his will, if it's his hour to take me out, blessed be God. I, I, again, I'm not saying this in any flippant way, and it's hard for me to feel totally legitimate because I'm still in the lazy boy culture. But think about what this literally means, and it may mean this for us someday uh, here and now. So keep your life. If you keep it, you keep it for eternal life. You will keep it for eternal life if you hate it and you love uh, what God has given you. So now let's finish on this. This learn to serve Jesus. The verse is 26. And I think it's all under the banner of truly, truly. That whole introduction, amen, amen, this is absolutely, emphatically important and true. Some people say, Nate, why do you get so kind of excited? I'm sorry, I'm not excited enough, right? I mean, this is huge. This is the word of God. I can't possibly interpret it uh, well enough. But that, that's why categorical statements like this, verse 26, if, if anyone serves me, you want to see Jesus? Did you want to get his autograph? <laughs> Did you want to say, hey, I saw Jesus. I shook his hand. I, I met Ronald Reagan, dear friends. I was a security guard at the Department of Energy 
Washington, D.C., when I was in seminary. And they, had, they literally had to choose a security guard to go to the basement garage, be in the elevator while, while Ronald Reagan and the Secret Service with these bulging pockets uh, got into the elevator. We went up, I think, I think two floors, maybe three, and I was with Ronald Reagan, dear friends. I was floating. My world was spinning. I had no idea what was going on. I mean, seriously. Like, <laughs> there's, there's Ronald Reagan! <laughs> Has any of you been three feet from the president very often? <laughs> um, what's my point? I, I, I admired him, uh, but I, you know, I, I wasn't there to like, serve him. I'm not really like, there to dedicate my life to you. I remember right as he's starting to go out the elevator, I was like this, you know. <laughs> he's shaking his hand, and the secret service go like this, you know. Because I was like, <laughs> and he shook my hand. This is the hand. Do not talk to me, talk to the hand. <laughs> anyway, true story. What's my point? My point is that they had this, what, I don't know, I'm not going to condemn these Greeks. Maybe they had the perfect motivation. But they said, they said, we want to see Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, here's your answer. You want to be with me? You want to be with me? You, you want to learn to serve me. It, it's, a, it's a total life commitment. It's huge. This is the gospel of believe. Believe. Whoever believes has eternal life, will not perish. But what does that word mean, believe? It's not some sort of intellectual assent or like a curiosity of, let me shake your hand. No, it's a life commitment that none of us, you know, while we're still here, that means we're working on it, okay? <laughs> we're still working on it. We're still working on it. And uh, it's a daily commitment to want to live for him truly, truly. So let's look at, to sum this up here. If anyone serves me, he must Follow me. We could turn to John 10. We, we don't need to, but my sheep, uh, I know my sheep. I, they follow me. They hear my voice and they follow me. Jesus doesn't have a flock that's signed on culturally. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but, you know, I don't know. It's not that important to me. I'm sort of a smorgasbord Catholic. Ever heard that phrase? smorgasbord uh, Christian, meaning I take what I like and I avoid what I don't like because guess what? It's all about me. <laughs> no. Look what this says, dear friends. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. We need to be where Jesus is. First of all, follow him and be where he is. Let me ask you this. What is he talking about? Well, at one level, it's probably like physical. He wants us to be near him if, if we could be. But now he's in heaven at the Father's right hand. So we, we will be there someday, but not now. It's obviously a metaphor. Meaning, uh, where you're going to be, be with Jesus. Where is he? 
Where is your heart? Where is your head? Are you with Jesus? This is like a, a great test uh, of, of like a, a behavior. You know, think, well, would Jesus be here? In, in his heart and in his mind, would he be here? I'm, I want to be with Jesus, where he is, wherever he is. I want to be with him. Because I want the honor of the Father, he's saying. There's a huge reward for this. My servant will be there also. And like I said, what if that even means the cross? Yes, we're, we're crucified with Christ. And, and we, we're, we died with him and we're buried. But what happens next? We're raised with Christ. We're with him. We're in him. We're near him. It, it also, um, this could be sort of mystical, you know? Like, uh, I'm going to go off in a corner and repeat a mantra thinking, where is Jesus, where is Jesus, where is Jesus? And, and it, it, the Bible doesn't present it that way because God's told us his will. Can I dare repeat the word of God? Look at Psalm 119, our psalm for today. It's perfect for this. How can you come to Jesus? First, let me introduce it by becoming one of my favorite repeated verses in John John 8, 31. Look at John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, see, they were excited about him. They were ready to sign on. They wanted to shake his hand. Love your work, Jesus. Can you sign my CD? So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word. You are truly my disciples. So it's not a mystical trip like I'm going to go off and empty my mind and hope for some some guidance. I feel, I feel a word coming on. You, know, you don't need to go there. In fact, don't go there because he's gone here. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And there's nothing new about that. Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept like a Northern Californian, like a smorgasbord, no, to be kept diligently. We, that's why we take the time to take John's gospel seriously. I've preached on every single verse except when I was on vacation and Eugene preached a few. And, and I'm nothing. I mean, I'm not, not I'm saying don't be like me or anything. I'm saying that's why we're into the word. Diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. He's, he's longing to obey. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. See, that's that distraction factor. Ooh, look at the stars. <laughs> Crash your motorbike. <laughs> no, we fix our eyes on Jesus. It's the light and the lamp to our path. 
I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. There's, there's sin in his heart and he knows it. This is repentance as well. I want to serve you, Lord. Don't forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. There's no, uh, no call for creativity here. You don't have to come up with this on your own. It's here. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. See, there's that balance of enjoying what God has given us, but really delighting and honoring him uh, in his word. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Watch where you're going. Watch where you're going. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So, it isn't a magical mystery tour uh, here. It's be where he is, where is your heart, where is your head, and then it closes with this glorious promise. If we serve him, God will honor us. That's the goal. We will be in heaven, honored by God the Father. How can it be by his amazing love and grace and forgiveness? This is how to see Jesus. This is how... He is the Savior for all. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for these Greeks who had the courage to come up and say we, we would see Jesus. Lord, we want to echo their request and also hear your response, Lord. Uh, thank you for being glorified, for being willing to, to be glorified through the, the cross for our sins. Thank you for dying, for falling in the earth, falling in the grave like a dead man as you were and rising again in victory over our sin. Thank you, Lord, for calling us and truly, truly calling us to really uh, honor you by loving you and hating whatever gets in our way of our love for you. And, and thank you for calling us to serve you how could we serve you, the Creator? But you ask us to serve you by following you and by being where you are. Lord, teach us your ways. Amen.